Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 50 and our ninth episode of season two. Today, Brian and I are taking a look at the book of Revelation and focusing on the story of the two witnesses in chapter 11. If you're like me, it feels like there is a lot wrong in the world right now. And as Brian and I have had conversations about this, he's reminded me to go back and read this story of the two witnesses. While I already knew the story, it was a great reminder for me, and we thought it might be good for us to talk about it here on the podcast. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you're watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so you get updates as soon as we post. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast. It's a really simple thing, but it means the world to us, and it really does help us reach more people with the podcast. So please help us with that. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. (laughs) Yes, I need to warn you. Yeah, that it's going to be a musical bistro. Is okay, thank you. So, but it's it's going to surprise you. Just well, random spots. I'm just going to okay. bust out in song. We could do. You know, we're talking about. Well, we could talk about Seven Nations Army or something. Mm-hmm. I don't or know. Encanto. We don't talk about Judas. No, no. I haven't seen Encanto. What? I know. Well, well, you haven't seen any of the best pot picture nominations for the Oscars this year. So Belfast, by the way, I will recommend to our to our listeners. Very good, but much much better than I thought. Even so. yeah. Well, and in the movie Encanto, it's not about Jesus, Judas. It's about Bruno. I was just oh, making a joke. Oh, I see. Well, see, I didn't even get it because I've never seen Encanto. Yes, context is everything, isn't it? That's one thing we talk about on this podcast. I, in fact, I was thinking. I was surprised. I didn't. Judas is in Encanto. <laughs> No, I was trying to make it relevant to our context of of the, and we haven't talked, well, no, we haven't really talked about Judas. He wasn't. Anyway, so we're back at the Bistro today. We We had a fantastic episode last week where we had Dr. Michelle Knight with us talking about Judas, uh, not Judas, judges. I got Judas on the brain. (laughs) Some some of the things that really... uh, some of the things that really, yeah, I thought I thought uh, uh, Doctor Knight really shared some incredible insights on on judges. If you haven't gone and listened to that, make sure you listen to that one. Yes, it it is very good. I learned a ton. Yeah, I did too. It was yeah. really really super um, good. And I mean, I I and I, I say this a lot. I felt like. Phew, I mean, there's a flood of knowledge yeah, coming at you. Absolutely, and we've had that with with Ryan Burge. We had yeah. on there. I've had some people that have listened to Ryan Burge and are like, <laughs> it's he's like just like this dam of energy that's holding back, and then like you ask him a question, you like poked a hole in the dam, and it just like floods out on you. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, pretty good. Yep. So we're coming back. We're um, we're going to talk about Revelation a yeah, little bit today. I thought we would. Well, here, here's what happened. You might remember we've we've had several things in our world, both locally and globally, mm-hmm. kind of that 
could be discouraging. Um, I don't know how much you're going to say about some of it, but yes, but uh, I'll just put it this way: some some things that have um, some of the people that that you and I are close to, it's it's affected them locally. Some things, and uh, there was a day you you were kind of down. You you and you admitted as much that uh, you were kind of feeling down. Yeah, I was. Um... I mean, I'll just talk about it. So the uh, university that I went to mm-hmm. and uh, that I was uh, went to and you taught at yeah. um, basically had an announcement that some uh, things were going to have to change. Significant like, changes. Significant, yeah. significant yeah. changes. The campus was going to be overhauled. And, it, you know, it was one of those things I wasn't totally surprised that there was going to be an overhaul. Um, and I was just like, oh, you know, OK, yeah. you're moving ahead. And then there was just I saw some things comments and it just yeah. sent me and I was just like okay. how, what what what's going on well plus we you know we've got the whole global situation with yes. uh with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and even today there there are new um you know every day of course by the time that, this comes out that this comes out who knows where we'll be but at this point there are new revelations every day about um you know uh loss of life and people being displaced and you think about you know the the people who are being affected by this directly uh, you know I, I know that Here's where I'll. This is what I said Sunday um, to to the congregation. Is I know I know there's a lot of political things here, and it's not unimportant politically. But my job is to remind you that this is also a human crisis. Is what I said, and mm-hmm. that there are people who are whose lives are being affected and upended by this right now. And so, just not to forget that. Um, so anyway, but but with all these, you know, you were kind of down, and you you admitted it. And, it was and so, it was a rough day. For so, me. so as I say, you know, when you begin to explain other things by the book of revelation you know you're in trouble then you know right so i just sent you a, i said read revelation 11 you know gave you this mm-hmm. passage and just kind of to remember what you know what that the book of revelation is about and what this reminds us of that these kind of things happen and uh, the additional thing i thought we'd talk about we haven't talked about revelation for a while i've also begun to get some of these questions because it kind of feels like right now where we are right now feels like kind of a return to the cold war there's been discussion of uh, nuclear mm-hmm. things that we haven't heard since the time you know when i was a kid in the cold war period of time yeah. and uh, i was telling you earlier I, I remember doing you know nuclear war drills where we would go out have you seen these you we actually literally would go out into the hallway the inner hallways of the school and we would take a, a textbook and hold it over the back of our heads to save ourselves from nuclear yeah. destruction apparently so anyway no the only the only i never had that experience the only thing i remember is i would go to our public library and there was a sign that said nuclear fallout shelter. And right. it was like these steps down in the basement. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on down yeah. there? We had a bank a bank in town that had, you know, because they had a vault in the basement that was a mm-hmm. nuclear fallout shelter. Yeah, interesting. But, but anyway, um, we, I've also gotten some questions. Sunday church, is this is this signs of the end times is what people are saying. And, uh, you know, we've talked about how to read the book of Revelation before. And I thought it would be a good time to bring out this in, in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to think that the message of the book of Revelation isn't some kind of systematic step-by-step future prophecy, but is instead really written to remind us that in all of these times that, um, you know, I think you said your comment was, it sometimes feels like evil is winning. 
Mm-hmm. I, is that the way you said it? Or, or uh, that we're, we're losing yeah, something yeah, yeah. of that effect. And I think that this is reminding us that the victory has already been won in Christ. And even though appearances will be, and the book of Revelation promises us that there's going to be these times when the appearance is going to be that all is lost, that all is not lost. So that's kind of why I wanted to look at Revelation 11 today. We're going to look a little at the... Um, at the broader context as well, mm-hmm. uh, and and we're going to talk about it and and you know here's the specific. You know, I'll kind of give away the ending. We're going to talk about the importance of the enduring witness of the church in times like this. That what we are called to is to be faithful witnesses in these kind of times. So, so overall, the context you you thought all the way back in chapter six, right? To yes. to go back there. There's yeah. a really big image there. Yeah. So you know you brought up you said read chapter uh, 11, eleven in Re- Revelation. You gave me the verses. And I'd actually been working with our small group through, right. you know, through some of this stuff and kind of putting all this context together. And so, you know, one of the things that we've kind of alluded to is like there's some seems like this cycle, cycle. Of, of images yep. going through. And so, as we talked about uh, Revelation 11, I thought, you know, we need to maybe start with this cycle or what we see happening sure. here. So, yeah, we're going back here to uh, Revelation 6, and I think this really kind of starts up this thing that leads us a little bit right. to, to chapter 11. So, I'll, I'll read here. It's uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Okay. Um. Uh, oh, yes. So when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Okay. It's not a good message. (laughs) Well, I mean, it it is. It is and it isn't. I mean, you've got... You know, I would say the under the altar is a place of protection, but it's it's a, it's a place of sacrifice, and and these are people who've who've died. And it says because they maintained their testimony, because of the word of the Lord, and they maintained their testimony. We have song we sing about this, right? That mm-hmm. that that this is why they met their end. But now they're saying, how long? And and I, I always say this is a this is a a cry that. God's people have said from the earliest time, how long, Lord, you know, we trust that you're going to make things right, but how much longer do we have to wait until we see things? And and that's, it's a cry of things not being the way that they're supposed to be. It's a cry that comes out of our looking at, at loss of life and injustice and people being displaced. And, uh, you know, like you said, the, the apparent appearance of evil being vic- victorious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so you know that was a a, a prayer. You know, yeah. like there's a prayer of the people. How long, how long, yep. a Lord, till your justice is is brought, uh, bef- uh, just brought right. to the earth? And so then we go to uh, Revelation eight, uh, three through five. Another angel who had a golden censer, a golden yeah. bowl, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. So this is yep. he's bringing the prayers before God, like and mm-hmm. it, it, prayers of justice. Yeah. You know, how long, O Lord, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And so I when I started, when you and I started having conversations yeah. about Revelation, yeah. you know, I didn't have a fuller understanding, you know, that right. I have now. And so it's for me to think like, okay, so God gets the prayers of the people. Yeah. And what does the angel do? Hey, you, you asked for it. Here it 
comes like, right. and here comes the, 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 the fire and he turns it over and right. it just starts pouring it out. And that leads us into the, the woes right. that are and that's, ugly things. Yeah. That's a part of this revelation 11 that we're talking about. Was there, was there another part you're going to talk about there or that? Oh, that, no, was that was it. It. So, so yeah, this idea that they're praying for God's vengeance and then the prayers go up before God. And then in that same sensor, I always think that's an interesting image because, you know, incense is, is in the old Testament, a sign of prayer. And, and uh, um, yeah, so, so immediately that same censer that offers the prayers is taken and filled with coals and cast on the earth. And you see the, you know, the effects even on the natural world there. So then we get to, to Revelation chapter 11 and there's, yeah, there's a series of woes here that are part of this cycle that you're talking about. Um, oh, you're going to talk about the, the, uh, uh, Revelation the scroll. Nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah go, well, go uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> So then at Revelation 9, we, we get to this as we go through these woes and it's it's judgment. Yeah. Judgment is coming out. And I think this is always, when I was leading with our, with our group, I said, um, pay attention to this. I think yeah. this really is very illuminating here. So uh, Revelation 9, 20 through 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. Okay. Um, and then in 21... It, it, so it talks about what they wouldn't repent of. And then 21, it says, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their theft. So this judgment yeah. was about repentance. The, yeah. Those those images of plagues are like the plagues of Egypt, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they modeled on that. They have the same kind of language as that. And just like the Egyptians, you know, there's this, there's, okay, well, yeah, yeah, we've had enough. Got, but then they turn around and, and you know, the hearts are hardened and we, we see this ongoing thing. And that's what it is with the people. Uh, you know, people in the of the earth, as as they're called here in Revelation, uh, God's people are um, you know being faithful in their testimony. They're they're witnessing even to the point of death, and yet uh, the people of the earth are not responding in repentance. And so so yeah, the woes come. Woes, by the way, is something we see in the Old Testament prophets too. It's a, it's a form of basically saying these are the these are the curses that are coming because of the you know the effects of non-repentance because of the effects of this ongoing uh, acts of evil. So. Yeah. So, so we get through the woes yeah. and people are not repenting still, right. you know, like it's, Hey, I've given, and, and I think yeah, we get through the, the plagues you're saying, yeah, but yeah, yeah you we're get getting into plagues the there. Yeah. Um, but I think what's, you know, for me, that was really interesting to think through that is like what people wanted justice, just right. justice. And what God was seeking is right. repentance. repentance. That's good, repentance. Good like point. it's that God, the people wanted justice. That was their prayers, you know, get it over with. Yeah. And God's saying like, but they wouldn't repent. And so like, I think it's this kind of this reframing again. It's about repentance. Yeah. Like what God's desire is repentance and your desire is judgment. Right. Is, is justice. Right. Yeah. We want to see them get their own and, yeah. and God, God's desire. First Timothy chapter two is that all people could be saved. Right. Yeah. So then we get into revelation 10. It's the angel and the little scroll. And this gets a little weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's Old Testament image again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we have this uh, idea that, um, and so there's and the judgment has kind of stopped, or the the, right. the fire has stopped right. for a second, and we get this image that John is given a little scroll. Yeah. And he eats it. Right. Which is harking back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah. So we have this, and it's so internalizing the message. He's he's. Uh, uh, um, you know, one commentator calls this a recommissioning of his prophetic office. Basically, he's he's taking. So these are the words of God that he's taking into himself, right? Right, and it's a sweet to his lips, yeah, and then it's sour, right, kind of the stomach, or it's it's uh, what is he? I can't bitter. remember. Bitter, bitter, yeah. So so this is the you know this is the throughout Revelation you have this two sided na- uh, notion to the gospel, and it's true. You know, gospel is for the <laughs> Paul says that. It, it, 
I'm going to stop here just a minute and say this. Oh, well, yeah, get ready, get ready. Here we go. <laughs> you know, when people read Revelation again, because it appears different and it's in a different genre, it's a different form. They want to make it really weird, and and it's it's consistent with the message of the rest of the New Testament. So Paul says this. He says, "For the ones who are being saved, the gospel is the is the you know odor of life, right? But for the ones being." Condemned, it's the it's the odor of death. The same message. That's, that's Paul in his letters. This is an apocalyptic, right? Mm-hmm. Paul in his letters says the same gospel, depending upon the way that we respond to it, has different effect. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that's really throughout the Book of Revelation. There's all kinds of images from from the very beginning where we have a two edged sword. You know, it cuts mm-hmm. both ways. Yeah, uh, it comes out. You know, the the two edged sword comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Yeah. you know, it, it, it's that message that cuts both ways. Here is the taste of this is sweet, and I would say for the, I mean, the gospel is sweet for those who who are recognizing what it what God has done for us in Christ. I mean, how incredible it is for us to to think about what God has done, and and. and you know the promise that we have, the hope that we have because of this—that's the sweetness of it. But the bitterness of it, when it is when it is ingested, I would say, is that judgment part of it—that there is condemnation for those who have rejected. You know, that's that's John's message here. I think mm-hmm. uh, God's message. I would say that He's giving through John. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So John's given a message then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so some commentators who've written on this, and we had yeah. a little bit of discussion yeah. about this, yeah. is like. You know, Jesus is given a scroll at the beginning, and he's yeah. the only one that can open it. Right. And so we have this, as the seals are broken, we're seeing the judgment, but right. like, what is what is revealed, written inside, what's written yeah. inside of this? And so uh, some of the commentaries I've read is saying like this, the what John is given here is going into 11 is what's on the scroll. Okay. I, no, I, I, yeah. I don't know. So here's the message. Well, I would say this at least. It's the same message that he's internalizing again. He's being called again to, mm-hmm. to this prof- prophecy. And then in chapter 11, it begins with an in, what we usually call an enacted uh, prophetic Mm-hmm. statement. So so look look at verses 1 through 3. Let me go ahead and just read this. Chapter 11, 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. I was going to read like a measuring rod. This is this is reminiscent of Ezekiel 2, because you might remember Ezekiel, of course, is writing at a, after a time in Babylonian exile when the temple's been destroyed, but he's given a measuring stick to, to measure out the temple. So what's in mind for him is the is the heavenly temple. I think it's the same here. It's mm-hmm. not, he's not talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. He says, of course, by the time of the writing of Revelation, in my estimation, for several different reasons, which we've not talked about the dating too much, but uh, I believe the temple had been destroyed for several years by the time uh, John's writing this book. But anyway, I was given a read like a measuring rod, was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. And I think that's a key phrase there. So it's not only that the temple of God, well, it is the temple of God, but as I've said over and over again, the temple of God now is those is that community of believers that that God has centered mm-hmm. around Jesus. Right. Uh, it is God's presence in the midst of his people. It is this this living um, you know this this body that's being built together around him, and, and so go measure the temple of God, the altar, and its worshipers with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. Now this is interesting, and this is one of those kind of places where there's a change even in the understanding here, because I don't think we're talking about ethnic Gentiles here. Mm-hmm. I think Gentiles being used as a metaphor and image for for the unbeliever, for the unclean, we mm-hmm. would say. So so the worshipers aren't aren't, I would say, 
physical Israel. And again, there's going to be people who disagree with me on this. Right. But I yes. think it's talking about those people who've been centered around Jesus. And the Gentiles here are talking about the unbelievers. So the outer courts are going to be temp- trampled by the Gentiles. They'll trample on the holy city for 42 months. Now, yeah, here's some, I always say, Numbers are symbolic in in the gospel in, in the in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to show you here. I think that that's the case. They will trample the city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses. Now, these are the kind of the the chief characters here, and we're going to come back to these two mm-hmm. witnesses a little bit later. Uh, part of it's from Zechariah chapter four, which we'll look at. I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So 42 months, the Gentiles are going are to trample the outer courts. 1,260 days, the witnesses are going to prophesy. So which of those is longer, 1,260 days or 42 months? They're the same. Oh! You know, in this I've world, done my homework. Good, good. In this, <laughs> in this, in, and that's the interesting thing. So, so we have to think about why are these two numbers used? In, in this context, 30 days is the, is the idea of a month. 30-day mm-hmm. months is what they used. 360-day years, which don't exactly work. Right. Right. But the same way they have to do a the same way we do a leap year, they would do a leap month every few years because you have obviously the solar year is three hundred sixty four and a quarter days in a little bit. And yeah. <laughs> oh, so you were still talking. <laughs> but a twelve month a twelve month thirty day year is three hundred and sixty days. 42 months times 30 is 1260. So the same period of time, and this is really the image that's being gotten across here, the same period of time that the Gentiles, these unbelievers, are trampling the outer courts of the temple, the two witnesses are going to be prophesying 1260 days, same period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to come back to something else about that period of time. How many years is that? Let's Three see. and a half. Oh, you did do your homework. That's I, awesome. I, I, 40, son, I know where you're going. <laughs> 42 months is three and a half years. This is in Daniel chapter 7 mm-hmm. uh, and in, in uh, ch- chapter 12. The time, two times and a half a time. Three and a half years. Time, two times and, and a half a time. It, it's interesting that that period of time has several different ideas to it or different parts to it. Um, that was in the intertestamental period, because uh, in chapter chapter seven of Daniel, that talks about that fourth kingdom that's going to come and the abomination that brings desolation in in that period of time is going to destroy the the temple and mm-hmm. and uh, I believe it's Antiochus Epiphanes. If we look at that, it's about three and a half years that he desecrates the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's an interesting period of time. First Kings chapter eighteen verse one is an interesting this thing is Elijah, to look at. So that's Elijah, and that's an interesting thing to look at as well. Let me read this. Mm-hmm. After a long time, in the third year, is what it says. So this is when you might remember the Jezebel, uh, Ahab was the king. Jezebel Not was a the great queen. Time. Not a great time for God's people. They were they were worshiping false gods. They were involved in all kinds of. Her end was a great story, though. I'll be honest. <laughs> oh come on, come on. Um, so. So anyway, the 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 what God tells Elijah to do, it's kind of like this judgment you're talking about. Prophesy, and and I'm going to bring drought. Mm-hmm. It's not going to rain on the land, and and so for three over three years, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't rain in the land, and then he says, after in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So that three and a half years. Now I know it doesn't say three and a half in in, but in the New Testament. It in does. the New Testament it does. Jesus, for example, talks about when during Elijah's day. This is in uh, Luke four. Mm-hmm. He says during Elijah's day it did not rain for three and a half years. James, the brother of Jesus, says the same thing in his letter. So by the time of the New Testament, that over three year period. Period had been 
three and a half years. And so I think it's that same kind of thing. It's judgment, right? It's it's Elijah was faithfully prophesying in the midst of this of this evil, mm-hmm. right? He was and he felt like the only one. Talk about feeling defeated. Mm-hmm. He thought he was the only prophet of God left. And here he is faithfully testifying and and God's judgment here as a part of this message, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what we have going on, I think, with this with this twelve sixty and forty two. Now let's go back to to Revelation eleven just real quick. Why these two different numbers? What do you think? Now, I don't know that. <laughs> okay, you did you did well in your homework, but now now when I get to the, what's what's the meaning here? Oh, don't don't twelve sixty is a big number. Right, mm-hmm. twelve hundred one thousand two hundred sixty is a big number. Mm-hmm. So the 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 period of the testifying now it's the same, that, mm-hmm. that, and I think that's what the, the the whole book of Revelation is about. And and people talk about is the tribulation happening before the rapture, all the kind of stuff. I think the whole point of the book of Revelation is that same period of time where we are called. It, it, it's it's the last days. It's this time of tension. It's this time of. Um, uh, uncertainty. This time of uh, we're going to talk about this uh, in another episode. This this time of shaking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the same period of time that we are called to testify twelve hundred sixty days, a long time, right? Twelve hundred sixty days mm-hmm. is that same as the forty two months. You see yeah. how the difference in yeah. the size of the numbers. So I think that's that's the point. Is the testimony of God's people is the bigger part of the same period of time. Now, these are overlapping, I think. We're called to be faithful witnesses in the midst of the trampling of the of the holy city, yeah. right? It's the same thing. Yeah, and, and and I just want to point this out, like, with the two witnesses, why we can point that to the church. Like, what what's the importance of two witnesses? Well, let's look at Zechariah. Go ahead. We're gonna say, what were you well, going to say about I was, that? I was saying, what's the importance okay. of two witnesses? I'm well, asking you a question. Let me read the next verse. <clears throat> if you'd read the next verse, you... you <laughs> Go ahead and read Revelation 11. Mm-hmm. Four. They, uh, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. So that's pretty clear, right? Yeah, clear. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're trees, and they also have So look at Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah, I mean, I love the book of Zechariah. And, and it is, so, so I've said before, Revelation seems very odd to us, but there's apocalyptic in the Old Testament, and there was a lot of apocalyptic during the intertestamental period. Mm -hmm. So apocalyptic, the problem is we don't speak the language of apocalyptic well. So the more you read this stuff, the more it begins to make sense. And so if you look at Zechariah chapter 4, that's where that image uh, comes from. So here, here's an angel, and, and we've taught, said before, apocalyptic, you have a, usually a heavenly guide who's, who's showing us kind of the reality. Apocalyptic always occurs in these times where things are not going well for God's people, and it might seem like we're defeated. But here's, here's a divine messenger who's going to come and tell you the real story, how things really are. So the angel who – this is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up. Like someone awakened from a sleep, he asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it. So this is like the menorah in the temple, right? Mm-hmm. One of one of Book of Revelation's, one of John's favorite images there as well. Seven channels to the lamps, and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And so he says, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied, or I wouldn't have asked. No, I added that last part. Um <laughs> I know, I know. Don't don't add to it. Sorry. No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 
Now, Zerubbabel was the one who'd returned from exile, and his primary task was to, to rebuild the temple. There are two, two main characters here, Zerubbabel and Joshua, right? Mm-hmm. One's the priest, high priest, and the other is the leader of the people, and that's what they come back to do. And here's the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, these things are going to come about because I'm the one who's going to accomplish it. Uh, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In other words, there's nothing that's going to stand in your way. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Talking about the rebuilding of the temple here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this idea of the, you want to know an interesting intertestamental bit here? This I didn't plan to do this. This is kind of no extra charge <laughs> for this one. So one of the things that they would do with the capstone and, and that was understood, especially the capstone of the, the kind of the, the cornerstone of the temple, the foundation. Of course, Paul uses that image and says our cornerstone is Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Our capstone is Christ. And, and so they would bring it out and they would anoint it. Okay, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that they would do. And, of course, anointing is the idea of the, the Old Testament word is Mashiach, right? The anointed thing, the, the, mm-hmm. the Messiah. Right. And, and so th- this idea that the t- capstone that's going to come out to be the f- foundation of this new temple uh, is, is what he's talking about. Anyway, just the, like I said, no extra charge, yeah, extra for charge for that one. So he says, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. Then I ask, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? Now, here's the interesting thing I think about the lampstand. Stand. So a lampstand used oil to to olive oil to to burn, mm-hmm. and so this is the idea that that these channels that go to these lamps come from these two olive trees, right? And there's going to be a continual source of oil. It's almost like you, you get what I'm saying. The olives yeah. are on the trees, oh, okay, yeah. so it's not just a limited amount of oil, but it is an ongoing, forever recurring surplus of oil that you're going to have in order to keep these lamps burning. In the book of Revelation, what are the lamps, the seven lamps? Oh, uh, that's the churches. Oh, oh. God's people. Okay. So interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah. So here's what it says. It says, uh, what are these two olive trees, the right and left of the lampstand? Uh, what are these two olive branches beside the gold pipes that pour out golden oil? So you see what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. that oil coming in. He replied, you don't know what these are? No, my Lord, I said, or I would have asked. I'm sorry. i got to quit doing that. No, my Lord, I said. And he said, these are back. the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of the earth. So it's the high priest mm-hmm. and it's the king, right? Or the leader leader of the people, let's call him Zerubbabel. Yep. So, so the anointed ones are these two. Now, in the New Testament, obviously the anointed one, who's both the high priest and, and also our leader, our king, our Lord, is Jesus. Same, mm-hmm. same one. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's pointing toward that. And so this idea of the two witnesses are, are the ones who, in, in, in continuing the work of Christ as a part of his community, are continuing to have a faithful witness, faithful testimony in the midst of this. I think the, the, the golden lampstands and all that kind of image we have early in the book of Revelation refer to God's people. That's what I think is being referred to here in Zechariah 4. And, and, and But the two is, you know, talked about the like truth of testimony. Is sure. Oh, yeah. Two to, three, two to three witnesses. Everything must be established on two to yeah, three so witnesses. Yeah, so if it's just one witness... You know, you have to right. have another witness for there to be truth and testimony. Right. Absolutely. So I'm this glad is, you brought that up. Yeah, that's that, well, that's what I was getting yeah. at when I mentioned earlier. It's like there's the 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 two. Like you needed two, so there was sure. truth in their in their message. Right. So verses five and following that says, if anyone tries to harm them, so these witnesses, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain. 
during Elijah. the whole time of prophesying, reference to Elijah. They have the power to turn waters into blood. Moses. Okay. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. So here's here's the idea. Just like in the in, in the Old Testament, there's this idea, the, these stories that it reminds us of, that Elijah shutting up during the time of uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, or Moses' plagues were against the Egyptians when they had them in captivity. So these are times of crisis for God's people. Mm-hmm. The, these are times where God's people were being oppressed by superior powers, right? Mm-hmm. Elijah thought he was the only one. Moses is, you know, here, here's this this uh, Pharaoh that has has oppressed the people, and God is able to 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 supply what is necessary so that His people are protected in this idea of faithful witness. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not the end of the story, though. <laughs> don't, don't we wish it was? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Because here's the here's the point. This is why I sent Revelation 11 to you when you said it feels like we're, we're losing. Mm-hmm. Because this is probably in the book of Revelation. I'm saying this off the top of my head, so I'm trying to think if I'm right in saying this. It's probably one of the bleakest images that we have for us. Uh, that we have for this idea of what it will mean for God's people. Uh, In movies, it's interesting in storytelling. And I I would say Book of Revelation is really closely related to movies. But I don't know if you've noticed this pattern. I'm sure you have. I know you've you've thought about this. But um, you have this idea that things are going along and there's conflict. But then people overcome conflict. But a lot of times then the protagonist before the very end of the movie, there will be something really super serious that will happen. And Mm -hmm. it will look like all is lost. And I'm talking about... Whether you're this watching, is comedy, this is action. Right. Whether you're talking about Marvel or you're talking about you know Belfast or you're talking about anything, mm-hmm. you have this time at the end that it's a dramatic turn down and it looks like things are gonna gonna go. But in a in a movie with a good ending, right? Yes. That <laughs> there is there is a, a positive outcome. And that's what I think we're looking at here. So here's here's really when it gets bad. When they had finished their testimony. So this is the idea of being faithful witnesses, sharing the gospel. I mean, however you want to think about this. When they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss, and the abyss is a, an ancient uh, abyssan, is a, it's a word for a bottomless pit. This idea, we would say something like from the pits of hell is where right. this comes. It's not a place on the earth. Yeah, it's, not a, not a good thing. Right? right, but it's not like something we could find geographically <laughs> on a map. I, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, but yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay, uh, the beast from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you mentioned this, and I think you you were well to to start off with this beginning of the cycle was the slain saints under the altar who were slain because of maintaining their testimony. Mm-hmm. God's people were not promised what we're what we're asked to do is be faithful, mm-hmm. and, and God has the power to enable us and to encourage us to do all that we are able to do, but that does not mean that we're protected necessarily even from death. Yeah. Well, six even talks about like until the full number are are are, are brought in, mm-hmm. right? To the full number of their brothers and sisters are brought in, right? So so here it is. They attack them, overpower them, kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city. Now get ready for this figurative, which is figuratively called Sodom mm-hmm. and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Jerusalem. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now you got to think about that. So Sodom, of course, is this story in the Old Testament of the of where where um, you know Lot and his family were the only righteous ones, and, and the angels and, come, and, and, yeah. and we have this this destruction that's come upon them. Plague, you know, the the idea of fire from heaven comes down and destroys Sodom. When you think about uh, Egypt, 
you're thinking about, the, again, this place of oppression, this place where God's people were kept in captivity, but God was able to release them, where also their Lord was crucified. And this is where, you know, Jerusalem, you wouldn't necessarily think about a place to associate with Sodom and Egypt, but we're talking here about the Jerusalem that would have put Jesus to death, you know, the ones who were crying out for him to be crucified. We, If you want me to say it in technical ways, I would probably say something. And again, we're, we're talking about much later after Jerusalem had been destroyed, in my opinion, in AD 70. But, but we're thinking about those leaders who who saw to Jesus' death, right? We're talking about the Jewish leaders. We're talking about the ones with whom they, they conspired in order to bring this, this eventuality about. So, so that's what I think we're talking about. And again, you can see the figurativeness of this. That's that's mm-hmm. why when we try to make this very, uh, I don't say this, when we try to, to give specific here uh, and make these very uh, pointing toward physical realities, I think we get into trouble, right? Mm-hmm. He's telling these Old Testament stories and even the story then of Jesus' crucifixion and what it reminds us of. Well, now, yeah, I'll go ahead and say this now. So... Jesus was crucified. I mean, that's and so the, what the witnesses here are experiencing is exactly what Jesus said to his followers was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They they did the same. They're going to do the same to you that they've done to me, right? Right. That's what he says to his disciples on the night he's crucified, or night night he's arrested, night before he's crucified. Um, he, he says, you know, if they hate me, they're going to hate you, and and, and that's. Part of what we see in this this whole this this whole um, idea. So here's another three and a half for three and a half days. Some people from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. So it's one of the bad things you know that, that would be considered in the ancient world, nature world, and still today in, in Islam, this is a big deal to to bury the body within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But here we're going to let their body lie out in the open uh, to die. It's in, an insult. To die in the open field and just have your body left was, yeah, seen as a curse. You know, the the, the land it even cursed the land, but but you know, um, it, yeah, it's it's a bad thing. And so here they're they're looking at their dead bodies and they're refusing them burial. And the inhabitants of the earth, which is one of John's keys for like the the wicked, mm-hmm. the people who are against God, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. <laughs> That's pretty bad, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth, mm. so they're 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 celebrating. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, "There's going to come, come a time where you're not going to see me, but then you'll see me again." And he says, "During that period of time, then the 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 world is going to rejoice." And, and talking about his death, but then there's going to come a time where your rejoicing will be great. Okay, in other words, his resurrection. So here's what I think this is about. And this is why I think he points to this idea where, where Jesus was crucified. The same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to his people. The potential is to happen to his people. What we're called to do is to be faithful witnesses, even if it means our death. Now, here's the question I always ask people, because there, there are people who say, and I've taught this, I've taught this in different cultures, uh, different different places. And one of the questions I got when I taught this in a particular culture where a particular understanding of the book of Revelation is pretty – I know I'm being very vague here. Yes, vague yes bo- you are. Vague booking. But uh, you know, in, in this particular 
area, there's a, a very strong desire to read the book of Revelation as this kind of unfolding map. And, and you know, when I talk about tribulation, when I talk about the difficulties that, that God's, the, the believers will face, you know, the question is, well, it's, it's, it's too easy. It's not hard enough is the idea. And, and my question here is how much worse can it get to be, to, to, to hold faithful witness and to be killed? And, and whether we like it or not, if we live in a culture and in a, in a place and in a time, let me put it that way instead of saying culture, and in a place and in a time where we are not persecuted to the point of death, that doesn't mean that there aren't other people in this world at this time undergoing that same kind of persecution. Mm-hmm. I think the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is written for all of God's people to remind us of our task but also to remind us that even when things, even when I get a text from Ryan that says it feels like evil's winning, I I, I remember what I said. Now I what said you say? I know Christ wins in the oh, end. Oh yeah, you did say that, right? But, but it feels it I, like I, it feels very weighty right now. And th- and that's that's the issue. That's you're exactly you, you've said that, that that's the message of the book of Revelation. Christ wins in the end. But that's what the reminder here is. As bad as it could get. I mean, can you imagine worse than dying for your faith, your family being killed for your faith? Uh, You know, I'm thinking about places in Eastern Europe where Christianity has been there since the first century. There have been Christians in that place for a long period of time. And and you're undergoing these, these very difficult times, as bad as they can possibly get. The promise is that even in these times, the Christ is, is with us. And what we're called to do in these difficult times is to be faithful witnesses, mm-hmm. okay? Faithful to the message of the gospel. Now, here's the vindication. So so imagine this. I, I just want you to get that image of the inhabitants of the earth, again, the wicked people, gloating over the death of these faithful witnesses. Of the church. Not, yeah, absolutely. Not just yeah, of God's people, I would say. Yeah. Not just of not, – not just that, that – you know, it's they're they're glad that they're there's dead. a celebrate. They're right. sending gifts. Yeah. Hey, like, the the ding two wit- dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> exactly. The two witnesses died. You know, let me buy you a I don't know a latte. I don't know what it is, but anyway, <laughs> there's Starbucks gift cards. Let me give being you a gift card. Around. Yeah. yeah. Let me. So so they're they're celebrating with gifts, right? But here's the here's the vindication. This is verses eleven through thirteen. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Back to creation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, feet, <laughs> and terror struck those who saw them. Mm-hmm. And so here's the idea that those who are gloating now when they see the resurrection. So same as Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Day of Pentecost, one of the most powerful sermons probably ever to be preached, the first gospel sermon. Uh, well, I guess I guess in some ways the gospel sermon we've been preaching it the same or should should have been preaching the same ever since. Peter's comment was this: Jesus, whom you crucified, has now made, been made both Lord and Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, and it says they were cut to their hearts because they they recognized that this one that they had seen over the you know seen to the death of had now been vindicated, had now been raised. And here's the promise for the slain saints under the altar. They're given white robes, wait a little while longer until the full number is included. And the promise here is of resurrection. As bad as, what's the, you know, what what can someone do to me, right? 
if God is on my side, what can someone do? Even if they, we're not, you know, Paul talks about uh, sword, you know, danger. What harm can someone do to me? If I believe, if I truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and if I truly believe that that's what he's promised for for his faithful witnesses, what's the worst that someone could do to me? Mm -hmm. It gives us an ability to live in the world, I think, in a different kind of way and and to be encouraged in the midst of this. So uh, they stood on their feet, terror struck who who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, just like, you know, Jesus, uh, while their enemies looked on. And then, of course, there is after this a severe earthquake, 10th of the city collapsed, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So, so there's this idea of vindication and protection of God's people, no matter how bad it gets, right? Even, even in this vindication, there are those who give glory to God. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you said there's this continual refusal. Um, they still not would not repent. There's still some who are, who will not repent. But even in even in our maintaining faithful witness, there's the opportunity for people to come to know who who mm-hmm. the, the the God of life is, the God of the breath of life is. Yeah, that reminded me. I read uh, a book. Uh, it's been a year ago or so, but it was um, talking about the the early martyrs. Yeah, of the church, right, and like how important their deaths were yeah. in the expansion of the church. Yeah. Like that it was, was it Irenaeus or I can never remember. It was Irenaeus or Tertullian that said uh, the uh, blood of martyrs is a seed of the church. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was just, it was kind of outlining just the impact of seeing someone faithful to the end, yeah. faithful in their witness um, and the impact that it had on those who saw right saw them that knew who right. they were, what they stood for, and they might have ignored them previously. Sure. But now, in the face of, and they were given options like all you got to do is just say this. Yeah, all you got to do, and well, it'll be done with it. Yeah, but they were faithful to it in the face of death, and in that, it was the seed. You know, the seeds right. of the church were were planted, and I think, whew, that's. I mean, that yeah. And then that's why I kind of want to bring this. We were, you know, we're we're seeing things um, globally in the world. The things that yeah. are happening that are not good. You know, you and I, we alluded to in the beginning, like things in our personal circles and just like locally and globally, locally yeah. and globally, and kind of going moving back, but kind of going. Our role is to be faithful. Yeah, faithful witnesses. So, so what does it mean in our context? Then is the question. What does it mean to be a faithful witness in our context? And, and here's the other thing: What does it mean to be a faithful witness in, in the church in Ukraine? Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? And, and it's going to be different things in different contexts. But you know, I've been encouraged by some of the things that I have seen. Um, you know, in, in terms of the church's response in Ukraine, um, you, you've got um, you know video of people worshiping in subway stations, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a faithful witness. Here, here we are in fear of a missile coming down and blowing up our city, but we're gonna we're gonna have this. I, I saw a story of a Ukrainian church in New York that met for worship after after the first part of the invasion, and there was a group of Korean Christians. That that were I think they either use the same building there in the same same area, who came even though it was a Ukrainian worship service the Koreans came, simply came it said to be with them, mm-hmm. and, and basically they're just saying hey we're we're your brothers and sisters we're we're here with you, I think these are the kind of opportunities for you know what what does the what does 
What do people see? I say this all the time in my sermons. What do people see when they look at, at Christians? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think many times we get, um, you know, there are negative images out there. There are people who have certain ideas about who Christians are. Mm-hmm. And I think these are the opportunities, like you said, we have to, to be faithful to the end and say, you know, in the midst of all of this, this is this is how we're going to do it. Um, this is how we're going to live. We're going to live differently because we really believe this. This, this isn't just something that we play uh, on Sunday. This is something that we really believe and, and is a part of our everyday lives. Yeah. And it's not grieving over a golden age that was perfect, but grie- exactly. it's, it's grieving over uh, the false testimony or, you know, like it's the not, not repenting and coming to Christ in it, some ways. It, yeah. And, and I mean, so, so let's, let's talk about that golden age thing. Cause that's, that's a big deal. What examples do we have here? Sodom, mm-hmm. Egypt, mm-hmm. right? The crucifixion of Jesus, mm-hmm. persecution of the church, mm-hmm. I, I mean, for Christians, we have a recognition, you know, God has said to us, this is, this is a part of what's going to happen. This is a part of what mm-hmm. your, your this lot is. is. I, and, and that's the thing is like, I think in Revelation, like, in the midst of all this judgment, this is the message that's given to John. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. here's, here, here's one, something that they need to know. Like he said, write this down. This is something for the churches to know. And like that this, there's an important message in this, and that's what John's under. You know, he's on on Patmos because of the you know mm-hmm. testimony of the word word of the Lord. You know, and and you know, Revelation one through three is all about the churches, like how yep. they're living in the world, and some of them yep. are doing better than others, but there's yep. still something like how do you maintain this faithful witness inside of Rome? Yep. But it's not, it's not, it's a timeless message. It's not just right. for Rome; it's for right. the church globally. So, what do you think it means for us to be faithful witnesses in our in our time? You know, so so we talked about some of these personal challenges and some of these you know things that have affected us personally. What does it mean to be a faithful witness in that mm-hmm. in that context? Do you think? Uh, I think there is. Um, I mean, I think there's just a. We're going to talk about this in a uh, next episode. We talk about Hebrews and this drifting right, away. But I feel like right. there's this. I mean, there's a cultural wave. I feel like for us in America, I, you know, people are listening to this. Sure, we have people internationally listening to right. us. So, right. um, in an American context, there's a push to, I don't say dilute. You know, some sure. of the, some of what we hold true about who Jesus is. Right. And so I think, and there's immense pressure and, and fear of right. holding on to those classically held orthodoxy for the past two thousand years. Um, so I think for us, it is holding fast to Jesus in the face of a, a world that does not, and again, we're not facing Ukraine, we're not in a war, but we're, I feel like we're kind of in a cultural war of right. sort. Yeah. I don't it's, know. No, you I think you're right. Me. I'm telling you. No, no, I'm, I'm I think that's good. Out, I think that's good. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's so, so it's main, being faithful, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's not just holding on to orthodoxy, but it's living faithfully as Christ sure. would in this world. Right. And yeah, absolutely. But but you know, we we have guide. We've said before on this on on this podcast, we believe in truth. We mm-hmm. we we think there. You know, I'm not saying that we have a perfect grasp of truth, but we believe that there is truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's it's standing for those kind of things. Um, but but again, I think we're faithful in our testimony. I think we we need to communicate these things also in a way that makes sense within our 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 
our time. We're, we're I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm not going to tell you what we're reading, but we're reading a couple books that have been suggested by some of our guests, and mm. and you know, they're 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 really kind of helping set some direction, I think, for for the future of what we're looking at. And you know, we need to realize that things have changed in, in the mm. way that that uh, many people see the world, the way many people see the church as well. And so I think we need to constantly be asking this question of what does it mean to be a faithful witness in the midst of this uh, of this um, uh, current age in this this time that we have. You know, and, and again, let me go back to this question, is this the end of the world? As I've said before, I think we have been living in the end time since, since the day of Pentecost, right? We've been living in this last day, um, which is going to be a time of conflict of various kinds. Uh, a time where sometimes it seems like e- e- evil's winning, but we also live in this time where we know that um, you know that we can shut the the heavens up for three and a half years, you know, and that mm-hmm. God's God's going to empower us to accomplish His purpose in us. Uh, he's going to give us everything that we need in order to accomplish His purpose. So, uh, I guess I want to end by saying, I mean, we don't have to end if you want to say something else, but. Uh, some people are afraid of the book of Revelation, but it's actually a book of comfort. It's actually a book to remind us that no matter how bad, what's the worst that, that that can be thrown at us, and that God is able to do enough to to protect us and to save us, even if it means death. Mm-hmm. Um, we we don't fear that because we know that God is more powerful than that. And and it's you know the the death we have. Victory in the death, absolutely. But in our death, there can yeah. be victory for others. others. Others can see the the faithful witness and and can mm-hmm. see that there's something to this. Yeah, I, I was think just thinking about this. You know, the 42 months and Elijah and the three and a half years. Yeah. How that story kind of concludes before he opens it back up. It's you know, it's on the when the the Baal, the, the yeah. showdown between yeah. the two of them, Mount Carmel, Mount yeah. Carmel, that showdown, yeah. and it's a revelation of God's power. Sure. And then shortly thereafter, you know, they right. the heavens open back up after God's power is revealed in light right. of the false gods of Baal. Right. And just, um, you know, think about revelation and, you know, the, God's power being revealed yeah. in this last time. And, yep. you know, we're in, we're in the, the phase before, and Anyway, I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep talking. But I, I was just thinking about that. How that story of Elijah and the and the three and a half years. How right. that when that drought ends is after right. a showdown of, and when he's in this showing down with the false gods. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, you, you think about the false gods in our in our time. Um, you know, the, there's there's. Uh, I've been preaching about this because it's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks a lot about money. Uh, Paul says it can be an idol for us. I just preached last Sunday this passage where uh, Jesus says you're, you're either going to serve – you can only serve one master, and you're either going to serve God or mammon. You know, It's this, it's this mm-hmm. Greek word for, for this false god of wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going you're gonna to serve one or the other, but you can't serve both. Yeah, and that, not that money is ontologically bad, but how we can worship it in a way that makes it very unhealthy. Oh, that's because you're wealthy. That's the reason you say that. No, no, the, that... The, <laughs> the love of money, and that's that's interestingly, that's you know, um, we're going to talk about Hebrews twelve. Um, that that phrase is there, the warning of the love of money. Um, you know, Jesus uh, warns about um, greed. Uh, we have. Um, 
Paul warning Timothy about the love of money. Yeah, I think it's it's what uh, what do we do we think the power that we have comes from wealth or do we recognize that everything we have including our wealth comes from God. Mm, our, yeah. Even our ability to to make wealth comes from God. And so we we place our trust in him. I think is the yeah. is the upshot. All right. Well, that was Revelations 11. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Revelation. Oh, I can't believe I you said, said that. I can't I believe said, you said that. Well, I, it the, was just sliding. The, the, the sli- S word. So. Well, you said I was grotesquely wealthy or something <laughs> like that. I didn't say that. Anyway. Close to it. But. Oh, my gosh. That's not true. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Brian. All right. uh, great discussion. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com and find links there to follow us on social media. Next week, Brian and I are heading into the Minor Prophets and looking at Haggai chapter 2 and the prophecy that God will shake the heavens and earth, sea and dry land, and all the nations. If you're like me, I haven't spent a ton of time in the Minor Prophets, uh, so this is a great conversation we hope you will join us for. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We'll be back Tuesday. Tuesday.